This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening back in the fold is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. (coughs) National Championship in the books. Shrine game practices already going on. Senior Bowl next week. There's a lot going on in the world of college football, the NFL draft, and evaluating college prospects. How are you doing, my friend? I, I, I am still recovering from that 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 incredible like tirade that like you know marathon that was that game last night. I mean, no offense to anybody out there who loves you know college football. I mean, obviously we do here, but my goodness, let's find an earlier time. For goodness gracious sakes. I, and you know what? To all of our West Coasters out there, I feel you, man. I feel you because you're like everybody's asleep and what's going on and nobody's watching. Like, I got to tell you something. It's tough. That that was a tough haul last night. I wish it was earlier, but, man, I got to tell you, it was nothing but popcorn. Nothing but popcorn all night long. It really was great for that first three quarters, I would say. It really did look like a great game. Yeah, and listen, it was the coronation. It was it was LSU's year. This had been the writing on the wall for, for some time now. It was just their year. I mean, last year was Clemson's year. But this year, LSU would not be denied. Joe Burrow, I mean, the performance that Burrow put on in the two playoff games, I mean, the, the semifinal and then the national championship game, it, it's just staggering. It's just staggering. Like, he put up stats that if he did it against like a D2 school, we'd be like, okay, I get it. But like he put up Madden like stats on like rookie mode in the semifinals and the national championship against Ohio State and Clemson. I mean, it's as remarkable a two-game quarterback performance as I think we might ever see in terms of the college football playoff. I mean, it's not that's not normal to put up that type of stat line touchdown performances back-to-back games against the level this isn't you know against the level of opponents that you know he performed I mean it, it just you know just remarkable you know obviously the first semifinal game against you know Oklahoma and then last night obviously against Clemson but I mean just remarkable you know and and we're now waiting on some guys now whether or not you know Clyde Edward Tolaire who we're going to talk about momentarily whether or not he declares you know Justin Jefferson you know on the Clemson side there's no word yet on Travis Etienne T Higgins you know a lot of guys that will be very prevalent you know in the first 50 picks pot potentially in the 2020 NFL draft but you just kind of got the feel that it was it was Joe Burrow and the coronation last night Heisman Trophy national championship I think it's a hundred days I saw as we record this until the NFL draft kicks off so pretty much a hundred days until the Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow with their first pick and make him their new franchise quarterback I mean is there anything else left to say of Joe Burrow I mean the performance last night he had a f- couple rocky moments especially when the, in the third quarter started you thought that he might have been injured there it looked like maybe Clemson you know was gonna make a big push there they stop him they score a touchdown and then Burrow just answers the bell yeah I mean the biggest things I can tell you is is that I left that you know I left that game with a lot of really strong feelings and you know to what degree those strong feelings are hot takes and to what degree those are those are accurate reflections of 
you know, a, a thoughtful study. I, I think there's still a lot of work to be done on these players, but I got to tell you something. The, the more and more I learn or the more and more I try to study, you know, how we, how we shape behavior of movement on the field, how that happens, the more and more I begin to give more weight to big pressure situations, situations where you have to be at your best. Because let's be real here. We all know that we behave differently under pressure. It's no different if we can remember our days in high school when we were taking uh, an exam or in college when we were taking a final or even maybe taking our driver's test or maybe the first time we went out on the date with that girl that we were really liked. I mean, pressure does affect our behavior and it does shape the way we behave at, at the very least initially and it does shape the overall behavior to follow. So, I don't think it's any different on the playing field, whether you played at the high school level, college level, I don't care what sport you played. Pressure is part of the informational system that shapes the way in which we coordinate our movements on the field. It's it's a part of it. It's a constraint. It's something that's always and ever present. So to see Joe Burrows, to see Trevor Lawrence, to watch Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, to watch Justin Ross and T. Higgins and Travis Etienne and the players that we are just all excited about to see what they're going to do at the next level, to, to, to just watch that unfold on a massive stage is an absolute joy from a movement behavior spectacle. It gives us more than we can ever imagine, but we have to be open to what it can bring. And I think that's where sometimes we can get resistant. You know, we don't want to fall into the trap of one game being everything and nor should we, but we also have to give it its proper weight. Yeah. I mean, listen, one of my core beliefs in terms of why I liked Deshaun Watson so much when he was coming out was those two performances against Alabama in those national championship games. So, you know, I, everyone wanted to find flaws on Deshaun Watson and look for flaws and I just kept coming back to those two games and the pressure. Nick Saban, arguably the greatest college football coach of all time, on the other side. And here's Deshaun Watson just answering time after time. You know, obviously, first time, you know, they're denied. Then they win it the second time he faces them. Like, it, it was just, you know, th those are the things that stood out about Deshaun Watson for me. And I said, you know what? I don't care about some of the things that people want to find flaws with. In the moment, he's going to deliver with the pressure on the line. And we've seen it. I mean, Houston has not done him any favors at the NFL level, to be honest with you, besides having DeAndre Hopkins. Their offensive line has been really mediocre or below average. I mean, they've tried to do things to fix it. But, I mean, you watch a game with the Houston Texans, and I feel like Deshaun Watson is put in positions all the time where he's asked to, you know, basically be Superman. And at times he can, and other times, you know, he can't. But, I mean, that was what stuck out about those games. And I think, you know, that's what I keep coming back to. If anybody had reservations still about Joe Burrow, after the semifinal game and now this game against Clemson in the national championship, I think you just you gotta you just gotta move past the fact that yes, he wasn't a guy we've been talking about for three years. And you just gotta appreciate what he can do, the confidence that he plays with, his ability to make plays with his legs, opens things up, his ability to 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 make a play when you know the scripted play breaks down, his ability to keep his eyes upfield looking for a big play 
put it in the ball, ball placement right where it needs to be. I mean, it was really a remarkable performance by Joe Burrow. And, you know, there's there's nothing else more to say about it. And I, I anybody who had any concerns, I think they need to be answered right now. And I don't think – I think you walk away from this game saying Joe Burrow is the goods. Let's see what happens in the NFL. But, I mean, people should be very impressed with him. So so anybody else? I, I know you were talking. You were putting out a take last night on Clyde mm-hmm. Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah. Not, not everybody on totally in agreement with you on that. Yeah. Well, what, what is it about Clyde Edwards Hilaire that has you so intrigued? If he do, if he does declare for the NFL draft, why are you such a fan? Yeah, I, listen, I think that there, there are certain things that, you know, when we talk about movement behavior and we talk about what shapes a player's behavior on the field, we talk about this idea that, you know, really the best way to get a feel for how they're going to perform at the next level is to look for those moments, those moments that are NFL-like those moments when they are going up good on good in a game-like situation, all the pressure on them in the world, the light shining bright, you know, what type of ability do they display? What type of decisions are they making? What type of cutting abilities and strategies and various ways are they solving the problems that are at hand on the field? Those are the moments. Those are the moments that we're looking for, you know, in terms of trying to find the core movement behavior or problem solver ability of a player. And I think Clyde Edwards, when we go back to what he did this year against Alabama, how he performed against Auburn, which was solid as well, how he's now done against Clemson. You know, I, I think we'd be remiss if we ignored the fact that he really hasn't showed a very versatile movement toolbox. Even going back to when, I watched him a couple of years ago and in the spring games to see him perform. You know, he was a player that always had great agility and that was the ability to find solutions in space and really adapt his movement behavior to not only the the constraints of the field and where they were in terms of the sideline and the hash marks, but also in terms of the trajectory of the of his opponents, his pursuit angles, the, the way the players are approaching him. He knew how to use blockers in front of him. That was always part of his game. But he added this entire layer, I think, this year of showing how he's developed using his own kind of body mass and his own body structure. He's kind of developed this movement behavior of being a very explosively powerful running back as well. A lot of that has to do with the way he's built. He's learned how to leverage that asset in order to move the change and really beat out guys that are physically more imposing than him. Very much I've seen this time and time again, this MJD type of comparison And I think that's apt when you talk about how he runs between the tackles. He's not looking to make contact, but when he does make contact, you see a couple of really, really interesting aspects to his game. His ability to ride force. In other words, when he has forces coming in, when there's an actual collision and it's not a head-on collision and it's at some angle, he shows a variety of ways to handle and absorb that contact. Sometimes he'll spin off of it. Sometimes he'll negate it and meet it, lower his center of gravity and combat that force and meet that force head on and actually mitigate it or stalemate it. Sometimes you'll see him use a stiff arm to kind of leverage that distance between the player and his own feet and kind of redirect it into space, thereby mitigating the amount of force he's going to feel. 
And you see him do those things time and time again. So in collisions, in tight areas, in open spaces, as a receiver, when you watch him run routes, he's explosive in and out of his breaks. Now, do I think he's the most adept route runner in this class? I'm not, I'm not going to go on a, on an island right now and say that. I mean, is he explosive in and out of his breaks? In other words, is his change of direction speed excellent? Does he know how to cut suddenly in and out of his breaks by being deceptive, both through his vertical route stem as well as at the top of his routes? I would say yes. In terms of his overall hands, in terms of catching the football, in terms of receiving the football, you know, what type of hands does he display? I think for his position, meaning the fact that that's not his primary asset, he shows the capacity to do that. He can catch the football in a variety of ways. And I think for that moment, I do think that he's one of the most versatile backs in this class. And if we're really going to stay true here to a problem solver mentality, you should be drafting the most dynamic and versatile back to run your team. Because I don't know where he's going to land, Paul. Listen, Jonathan Taylor is very, is very, very good. So is DeAndre Swift. So is uh, Cam Akers. There's a lot of potential there. But it ends up being where they're going to land. So if you're telling me with no knowledge of where they're going to be in the NFL draft, who do I think is the most dynamic and versatile backs in this class who could go to many teams and be effective? I love DeAndre Swift. I like J.K. Dobbins. I like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think he's a very dynamic back. I think it was Dane um, Dane Brugler that put out the comparison to him being very much like Westbrook, being very much like a Westbrook-style running back. And I think that's apt. I understand that comp. It makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm not a comp guy. I'm not really good at that. But I respect Dane's eye just as much as anybody else's. And I do think that Brian Westbrook type of uh, comp is, is very apt for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm excited to see where he goes. But I do think, at the very least, you have to be considering him within the top five of the class. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I don't have him that high yet, but I do think I do think everything that you said is legitimate. I think he is a playmaker. I think he's going to have a role at the NFL level. I think you could do a lot of different things with him. I think NFL teams are going to be enamored with getting this guy into their locker room and into the, and maximizing everything that he can bring to the table. And 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 once upon a time, remember I called. I called the Curtis Samuel shot. Remember Carolina Panthers? Oh yeah, that was beautiful. I remember that. Well, I don't know if you've heard in the last hour and a half, Joe Brady's officially left LSU to become the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. Clyde Edwards Hilaire falls to the beginning part of day three. Now, again, I'm not saying he is. I think he could legitimately be a round three guy, but there's a lot of offensive prospects. So I don't think it's out of realm of possibility he's he's there early in round four. I don't think the Panthers do it before round four because they have a lot of holes to fill. But, man, they could really use a compliment to Christian McCaffrey. They can't run him into the ground with as many touches. And I'm sure Matt Rule knows that. And now Joe Brady, his new offensive coordinator, knows that. What about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? You put him in that offense now with Joe Brady calling the plays as a compliment to Christian McCaffrey and as another offensive chess piece with McCaffrey, with DJ Moore, with Curtis Samuel. Man, Brady will have a lot of fun scheming things up with that offense and those playmakers. So let's just file that away. Let's see what happens. And – 
let's see if there's a little bit of a connection there. If Brady maybe, you know, pounds the table a little bit to get, you know, one of his LSU guys there who he thinks could do a lot more for that offense in a variety of ways to at times preserve Christian McCaffrey for the long haul because you probably can't keep doing what they're doing to Christian McCaffrey and expect him to, you know, play as well as he's doing, you know, into, you know, his late 20s, you know, at, at this rate. So there, at some point, and I, I'm, Matt Rule's in it for the long haul, seven-year contract, you know, he's bringing lots of different analytics stuff and other stuff, you know, scientific stuff and all this stuff to Carolina. So it'll be interesting. I think that I think we'll see a little bit of a different usage of Christian McCaffrey moving forward to try to preserve him as he, you know, he's still very young, Christian McCaffrey, but trying to preserve him through his mid twenties into his late twenties. Yeah, and and listen, this I'm I'm this is not supposed to be the Clyde Edwards Hilaire show. I mean, it's really not supposed to turn into that, but I, I think that because I was making, you know, what are what were hot takes, you know, in many people's worlds, you know, I, I did feel it was necessary to at least explain myself. And this is listen, these are these are hits and misses, man. I mean, sometimes sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. You know, but if I'm if I'm going to believe that the human movement system and the behaviors that players exhibit on the field is a testament to their true skill then I would be remiss if I didn't accept as a truism that a player at any moment, at any game, at any level, can make a categorically and definitive and qualitative change in terms of their behavior on the field, meaning they can develop. So if I believe what I'm saying, then I believe a guy like Joe Burrows, as crazy as it is for us to visualize what happened this year, I believe that ability to suddenly self-organize and be a different player can happen. I believe that in terms of what they do on the field as well at, at running back. So I believe Clyde Edwards Hilaire can do that as well. So as much as in Paul, I know you're not a, you know, I know you're just as much as, as I am. We respect statistics. We understand them. We're math teachers. We get it, you know, but, it, but in terms of understanding, you know, what's going on, in terms of production, production can dramatically change at all turns. Production doesn't define skill. Production defines potentially a lens of the coach and the coordinator. Those things could be the reason why production occurs. It doesn't mean skill isn't there. It means that other things are happening as well. So I believe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has proven that he is developed to a point where he deserves to be in the conversation. But again, where he lands matters just as much as anything else we're talking about. Absolutely. And to kind of put a ribbon on this national title game, uh, we haven't mentioned Thaddeus Moss in a while, uh, basically ever. I think he now legitimately could end up declaring. It's a very weak tight end class. He's, for people who don't know, he's the son of Randy Moss. He's a redshirt junior. I mean, he had 47 catches this year. So he could be a name that'll be interested over the next week if we hear any declaration about whether or not he's going to enter the mix. And if he does, he has a shot, maybe. I mean, this is like we said, a pretty weak tight end class. I would, I think he might have a shot if he comes out to be a round three, round four guy. So that's a name to kind of file away. Uh, we'll see. It's been a, it's kind of been assumed that Ethan and T Higgins were going to come out, but you know what? Clemson's going to be the heavy favorite to win the national title next year. 
Clemson has found sometimes to found a way to sometimes keep some of these guys there, you know, when you didn't expect it. Remember when they kept all the defensive guys, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, um, and then um forgetting the other one who Oakland took early in the draft last year. Uh so they kept all of those guys that year. So now this year, do they find a way to keep Ethan and T. Higgins or do they declare? I mean, look at Alabama. Every year we kind of assume all of the Alabama guys are going to go out. And then if you, it sounds like Najee Harris is coming back. Devonta Smith made an announcement. He's coming back. So yeah, Jerry Judy is going to, to the pros. Uh, Henry Ruggs is going to the pros, but Alabama has found a way to sometimes keep guys there longer than we expect. Same thing with Clemson. And so I, I think it's not crazy to see a scenario where Ethan or Higgins, one of them want to go back because they're going to be the heavy favorite next year, I think, to potentially play in the national championship game again. I don't think. I think both of them do declare, but it, it's something to at least uh, monitor closely. I expect Justin Jefferson to declare. Uh you know, LSU, we'll see. We'll see if LSU now can uh, build a perennial powerhouse. You know, obviously, we talked about Joe Brady heading back to the NFL. Uh, Joe Burrow going to be the number one pick in the draft. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire probably going pro. Justin Jefferson, I'm pretty sure going pro. So we'll see. Obviously, a lot of skill talent still there at the wide receiver position. We'll see how quickly they can reload. So let's let's take this to uh, the remainder of the show, the East-West Shrine Bowl. The name is now officially the Shrine Bowl, so it's going to take me a while not to call it the East-West Shrine Game all the years we've called it that. But the East-West Shrine Bowl is going on, and every year some intriguing prospects end up down there. I mean, we've seen people like Jimmy Garoppolo use it as a springboard to the Senior Bowl, and then look at him now. We've seen John Brown do something similar. So while there's not a lot of guys who I think are in the mix to be you know, top 50 guys, Sometimes you sneak one or two sneak in. There's been some reports that people think there could be a couple down there that go in the top 100. Uh, so practices started yesterday. We're two day, two things into practices. Uh, obviously another day or two practices, the game on Saturday and then next week, the senior bowl. So I wanted to go through the skill positions, do a little rapid fire, letting you know, uh, my thoughts on who's going to be down there. And then Mac can kind of chime in on anybody he wants to kind of expand the pond. Uh, you know, I got one. Have now. a little conversation. Absolutely. You know, there's one. There's, you know, <laughs> you know, there's at least one though. All right. So, so let's start the quarterback position because a couple, couple interesting names down there. Uh, first and foremost, Kelly Bryant, uh, former of Clem- formerly of Clemson, now of Missouri, 6'4", 221. Got a good size and frame, good mobility, athleticism, can make some plays on the run, uh, you know, play off script a little bit. I think he's best in a spread-type offense with RPO concepts. I think he's got some inconsistent accuracy, especially vertically down the field, struggles with pressure uh, and needs to improve in areas of decision-making and reading coverages. We got Kevin Davidson, a small school out of Princeton, uh, interesting player, he's 6'4", 225. The early reports are he is showing really good arm talent, velocity and strength, pushing the ball vertically down the field uh, and been pretty accurate so far in the early going of practices from the reports down there. Uh, basically, uh, that's he's a developmental, you know, Late day three UDF type, a UDFA type prospect, but intriguing because he's got that, those measurables that teams look for. Mason Fine out of North Texas, undersized at 5'11, 190, but really efficient, productive career at North Texas. Good movement skills and mobility can throw on the move. A lot of, uh, bootlegs, get him on 
basically move the launch point to try to you know minimize the fact that he's undersized. But he's got pretty good arm talent. He can throw a good touch. He's got a quick release. Uh, for me, he's a rhythm passer, best in a pro style or West Coast offense, attacks the short to intermediate ranges of the field. He could be a, a late day three prospect. Tyler Huntley uh, out of Utah. Obviously, Utah really good this year. Huntley is a little bit inconsistent. At times, he looks like a top 100 prospect. Other times, he could look like a UDFA-type prospect. He's 6'1", 205, good athleticism, mobility, can extend the play, throw on the run. He's more accurate in the inner, in the short intermediate, but I think sometimes inconsistent, inconsistent accuracy when he starts to push the ball vertically down the field. He's just got an overall pocket present and decision-making or areas he's got to improve upon. James Morgan's been getting some uh, some publicity. He's out of FIU. Uh, Dame Ruler said he's got a draftable grade in, in terms of scout size at the NFL level. So maybe he's a late day for type guy or priority free agent. He's got ideal size, 6'4", 213. He's got uh, good arm talent in terms of velocity and strength. He can make every NFL grow. He's willing to push the ball vertically uh, down the field and outside the numbers. He's got pretty decent athleticism as well, but he's more of a traditional pocket passer, but he's got to improve in terms of his accuracy and handling pressure. Kurt Rawlings out of Yale was just recently added. He's 6'2", 215. Not a lot of information on him, average size and frame, but arm talent is a little bit lacking in terms of velocity and strength, Uh, but he does have some athleticism and ability to move around the pocket. And then Tommy Stevens, formerly of Penn State, this year played at Mississippi State, 6'5", 235. He's got great size and frame. I was listening into the Journey to Draft podcast, and Fran Duffy said there's been some whispers that NFL teams might be looking at him in terms of like a Taysom Hill-like role due to his athleticism, his ability to do a lot of different things. Uh, He has struggled at times as as a pure quarterback in terms of accuracy, decision-making, but he's got he's good athleticism good athletic ability, good mobility, can extend the plays, and he's got the arm talent that he could push the ball vertically. So he could be an interesting uh, player that could be used in a Taysom Hill-like role. Matt, any thoughts on the quarterbacks there? Obviously, Tommy Stevens, formerly of Penn State, or Tyler Huntley out of Utah, or Mason Fine, or Kelly Bryant. Anything anything on those quarterbacks? Well, I mean, I think Kelly Bryant's probably the most interesting one just because of my prior experience with him. Like, we've watched him a lot. We've actually, you know, kind of watched him grow in terms of being a quarterback, I, I think Kelly Bryant's going to find some success there. I think he's going to find teams that will be interested in his skill set, particularly with the type of offensive systems that teams are moving to in the NFL and the types of quarterbacks that are actually coming out. I mean, you know, to me, you know, when you think about a backup role, you, you want to draft somebody that's going to be able to basically stand in and not have to really change your system. So, I mean, it, it's very difficult to, to accomplish that. You know, if you don't have like if you have an athletic quarterback where part of the game is for them to kind of self-organize on the move. Well, you need to have, you know, a a quarterback that can keep everybody in time and keep everything lockstep. So Kelly Bryant's very interesting to me. So I I think out of those guys, I'm just interested in watching the rest of them perform um, because a lot of my experience with some of these guys on film isn't really significant. So I'm just excited to kind of see how these guys kind of mature down the road. Yeah. And I mean, Obviously, we're not grinding. You know, we don't have the time. Me and you is a two minute operation to be grinding Yale tape or Princeton tape or FIU tape. So, you know, this is where you know the people like Dane Brugler or Fran Duffy, great people who are as close as we have in the media world in terms of NFL scouts. They could kind of put these guys on our radar a little bit. And then if there's something that we see here in the Shrine game, it gives us an opportunity 
to go back and watch these guys. If they really start making some noise, you know, there could be names that are added to the scouting notebook. If there's some film that becomes available on these guys, uh, Tyler Huntley will be added and Mason fine. They're ready. Their sections are already up in the scouting notebooks. Uh, I just have to transfer the notes from my, uh, that I have on them into the scouting notebook, but those are two more quarterbacks that will be added, uh, to the scouting notebook. So, uh, those are the guys that I'm interested to, to keep a close eye on. Excited to watch the game on Saturday because they don't have the practices to the, the shrine game televised or even a stream online. And I know me, you and I, I, have I still about don't that. understand that. It, it, it's just mind boggling in, in this day and age, why NFL.com can't just put a stream you have like somebody with a GoPro running around on the field following everybody. Yeah, like, like, I mean, even, like even the even the Shrine Games own website. Like, why wouldn't you put it up? There's, there's enough of a market of people who want to watch it uh, to to make it available. So it's a little bit crazy uh, that 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 we still get that we still don't have that. And it's the same thing even at the Senior Bowl. So much is missed because they make it a TV production and they don't just have a stream of the the field of what's going on. But it, it's something that me and you have said for years and at this point it doesn't seem like it's going to change. So, let's take the set of running backs because there's some interesting names here. A couple uh lower level guys, but then also some big guys. Yeah. Uh Levante Bellamy out of Western Michigan. This is a fun player. He's five nine, he's one ninety. So he's obviously a little undersized, but th- we're talking really good gr- to, to borderline great athleticism in terms of his long speed, elite acceleration and burst, explosive in the open field. A guy who's gonna, you know, be a yards after the catch guy if you get him the ball as a receiver, a guy who can make people miss in the open field change of direction skills, uh, agility, lateral quickness on his runs to kick it to the outside. He shows good vision and patience. Obviously, he lacks you know, a little bit of play strength in terms of uh, power, uh, ability to break tackles. But in terms of a guy that if you get him in the open field, he's, he's a playmaker. So he's an intriguing guy. I could see him uh, being a guy that NFL teams look you know, whether it's late in the draft or as a priority free agent because of his speed and athleticism. Uh, Rico Dowdle uh, from South Carolina, he's six feet, 215. He's got good size and frame. He's more of a tough, physical, interior runner. Contact fidelity to finish runs aggressively, break tackles, absorb contact, good play strength, uh, average vision and patience, minimal in terms of his receiving game. Most interesting name there, Tavian Feaster out of South Carolina, formerly of Clemson. Six feet, 220. Early reports after two days are that he's been probably the most impressive running back down there. Uh, good athleticism. He's got really good long speed for a guy six feet, 221. I think he's going to test out really well in the pre-draft process. He's got that burst and acceleration. It's more straight line, but that's what we've known. He's always been a guy that I thought had great long speed and burst and acceleration in terms of a straight line. Good play strength, contact fidelity to run through contact and absorb it. Good to very good power, physicality and toughness, can break tackles. Um, I think in terms of the change of direction, agility stuff, I don't think that's his forte. I think that's areas where he struggles. He's not really been utilized too much in terms of re- receiving game, but I do think he can have a role as as, as a complement at the next level. Tony Jones uh, at a Notre Dame, 5'11", 224. Another guy similar to Dowdle, good size frame, but only below average to average athleticism. He's got some short area bursts and quickness, but he's, his game's built on Play strength, toughness, physicality, more of an interior runner, probably a late day three or UDFA type. Adrian Killens Jr. out of UCF, really small, 5'7, 164. 
So very undersized, but an explosive playmaker, similar to Tariq Cohen style player, uh, good athletic good athleticism and speed, change of direction, agility, third down or scat back, best use in open space, can make people miss, good lateral quickness to kick it to the outside, but obviously size, play strength, uh, and power are some concerns. Benny LeMay out of Charlotte, 5'8", 216, so he's short, but he's got a thicker frame, generates power from his lower uh, lower body, uh, average to below average athleticism, but he's got some short area quickness and bursts, really good in pass protection. He's tough, he's physical, he can catch the ball a little bit. So he's an interesting name. James Robinson is probably, besides Tavion Feaster, has had the most positive reviews from so far what I've read out of Illinois State. 5'9", 220. I believe he already has a combine invite, so that's that, that's something that intrigues me. Uh, only average size, but he's got great frame, good athleticism, uh, display short area quickness and burst, good play strength, physicality, he ability to one cut and get upfield, also has some return ability in his background. And then... Reggie Corbin this is a guy who I really liked a lot in the before the season started when we did our, you know, uh, running back rankings and we previewed the season out of Illinois, 5'9", 205. This is another guy has got great athleticism and long speed, lateral quickness to kick it to the outside. He shows good burst and acceleration, the ability to stop and start, his acceleration and that, his cutting ability, elusiveness behind the line of scrimmage and in the open field. I want to see a little bit more in terms of his receiving ability this year. We still didn't really see that. A little bit of an upright running style leads to punishment and absorbs more hits at times. But I'm really intrigued by Corbin. He's a guy that I think I'm excited to see him in the game. I thought he early in the year would have had a a shot to be at Mobile for the the Senior Bowl. Matt, any thoughts on the running backs there? Any, Any names stand out? Well, I mean, there's not a lot of meat on the bone there. I mean, you kind of you got everybody covered. So, I mean, I would just add a little color commentary on some of the guys that you talked about. Reggie Corbin is one of them. I really liked his film. I thought he was really explosive. He had that ability to change direction. He had a variety of strategies to do it in the open field. And I, I really thought for sure, you know, this was going to be a year where he was going to kind of build on that momentum from the end of last year and just kind of carrying him uh, into Mobile. But it did not work that way, and I hope that this is something that could catapult him there. Tavian Feaster, I think, is just a rock-solid running back. I, I think he's going to find his way on an NFL depth chart, and I think he's going to be part of that depth that's going to allow teams to be more versatile, more, uh, more, uh, let's say, more... Uh, more adaptable in terms of the type of personnel they hold, you know, in each of their respective running back spots, because he could do a little bit of everything, you know, like you said, um, you know, between the tackles, tight areas, not exactly his forte, so to speak, but he's not dysfunctional. It's just not where he's absolutely skillful. You know, it's a place where he's still developing. So, you know, we'll see how that transpires, but Tavian Feaster, even from his days at Clemson, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that Etienne was just a monster of a prospect, you know, Tavian Feaster was a very functional running back for them, and he did a lot of great things on the field. It just didn't really work out for them, you know, work out for him once Travis Etienne really showed his true colors in terms of what he can bring to the game itself. So, Anyway, I, I, I think that this particular group of players really is interesting at the running back position, and I'm interested to see which guys actually get the call up, if any, because, Paul, I mean, these – I know we're not in Senior Bowl talk, but the Senior Bowl rosters are pretty stacked. So I'm interested to see if we get any call-ups. We may, we may not, but it's a pretty strong class nonetheless at the running back position. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm not sure we're going to get – 
you know, maybe maybe a guy, you know, and this running back group here, even at the Shrine game, was supposed to also have Patrick Taylor Jr. out of Memphis, who's got some fans. Uh, but I don't I haven't heard the reason why yet. I don't know if it was injury. I don't know if it was something else. But he was originally on the roster to be here uh, down at the Shrine Bowl, and he would have probably been one of the more highly thought of or regarded prospects down there with Feaster and Corbin. Uh but nonetheless, he he's going to not be down there. If we take this to the wide receiver position, uh, I will say going kind of just following suit there with that Patrick Taylor, the star name that was supposed to be down here was Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, a guy who obviously the, the Debbie and draft Twitter community is much higher on than maybe the NFL community is. But I mean, Tyler Johnson was going to be the clear top receiver down here. Uh, but Dane Brugler, uh, Dane Brugler reported that, He's decided not to go to the Shrine Bowl and he's turned his attention and focus solely on preparing for the NFL Combine and the pre-draft process that lies ahead. Uh, so we'll see. I thought he was maybe going to catapult himself from the Shrine Bowl to the Senior Bowl, uh, but he and his uh, you know group of people decided that maybe the best thing for him was just to prepare for the Combine. So I don't know. I would have liked to see him go down there and compete. I would really perform well and and hope that maybe – you know, he got a call up. So a little bit disappointed uh, that he decided not to do that. So we'll see. But in terms of the wide receivers that are there, the list is long. So I'm going to go through a little bit quicker on these uh, guys just to let uh, everyone know who's down there. First up, Jamarcus Bradley out of Louisiana. Lafayette, he's 6'1", 195. Only average size, could add a little bit to his frame, but very productive. Ten touchdowns each of the last two years. He needs to show he can perform better. Uh, he needs to show he can perform against better level of competition. So that's a that's a big week for him. Uh, Derek Dillon out of LSU supposed to be down there. I haven't heard if he's gotten there yet. Obviously, they were playing last night. He's only 5'11", 186. He's undersized. He barely played for LSU behind their Paris stud wide receiver. So this is a big opportunity for him to get on the field and, and show off what he can do. Uh, Chris Finke out of Notre Dame, another 5'9", 184. So he's undersized. Clearly a slot player, but he's got good hands, average route runner, and a good returner. We're talking about a UDFA-type prospect. Keith Gavin out of Florida State, 6'3", 212. Good size and frame, average athleticism. He's got good ball skills and body control. Shows the ability to go up and high point the ball well with good length and catch radius. John Hammond out of Florida, 6 feet, 194. He's undersized, average athleticism, best in the slot. Uh, shows good uh, first step right off the line of scrimmage. Some reports today were that he was one of the standout performers at the wide receiver position. I think it was Tony Pauline of Pro Football Network who said that Hammond was, uh, was one of the more impressive wide receivers uh, on Tuesday's practices. So keep an eye on him. Uh, John Hightower is probably the most highly regarded wide receiver or one of the most highly regarded wide receivers down there at the Shrine Bowl. He's at a Boise State, 6'2", 172. Think John Brown. This guy has got a good size, but he's got thin frame, really athletic, great athleticism and long speed, can get vertical. He's a big play for it. You can use him, you know, on short stuff and screens, get him the ball in space. He's got agility and change of direction skills in the open field. He shows good body control and ball skills. He could be a returner. He's got about, he battles some inconsistency in terms of his hands. Apparently, in the first day of practice, he had a lot of drops. Obviously, not a guy who's going to win at the catch point with any type of physicality uh, because he could easily get pushed off his routes or, you know, out muscled at the catch point. 
Another guy, I know you're going to talk about him. We've talked about him a lot. Jawan Johnson out of Oregon, 6'4", 231, great size and frame. I think he's probably got average athleticism for his size, good play strength, shows the ability to use that frame to his advantage, go up and high point the ball. I like his body control and ball skills, uh, red zone weapon. There was some talk yesterday that, that that people thought he looked a little bit almost too big for the wide receiver position, that they were saying, like, would he be better served in terms of maybe gaining a, a, even a little bit more weight and maybe being a move tight end today reports a little bit more positive for him. Uh, I saw a couple of highlights, uh, a couple of tidbits on Twitter, put a really impressive move uh, where he beat a guy very, very impressively with really good quickness in his in and out of his break and right at the top, uh, uh, right at the top of his route. And then another one right at the line of scrimmage. So Impressive Tuesday, it seems, for Juwan Johnson after a subpar Monday, but one of the more highly regarded players down there. Jonathan Johnson out of Missouri, another undersized guy, but he can fly. Didn't frame, but speed, elite speed, burst and acceleration, an explosive playmaker. Got to find a manufactured touches for him. He'd also be a great returner. Uh, Mason Kinsey out of Barry. This guy's really generated a little bit of publicity over the last 48 hours. 5'10", 191, Division three school, but he's getting talked about a lot for his route running, his separation quickness, uh, and he is performing against much better competition than he's ever went up against, and he is holding his own, and more times than not, he's winning those battles. So early reports down there have uh, Mason Kinsey really looking impressive for a deep re-prospect in terms of the step up in competition. Uh, Jordan McRae out of Oklahoma State, 6'6", 187. So obviously he's got great size, but he's got to add more to his frame. But he's got that length and catch radius you look for. Uh, minimal production, though. He transferred from South Alabama up to Oklahoma State. Uh, DeAndre Overton out of Clemson. Uh, no word yet if he's officially going to be there, but he's supposed to be 6'4", 210. Uh, good, great size, good frame. Another guy uh, buried on the depth chart, but has been productive when given a chance. So it'll be interesting to see how he looks down there. Aaron Parker out of Rhode Island. He's 6'2", 205. Uh, good size and frame. Good athleticism. He's been reports so far that he's been pretty good. Good separation quickness and in terms of his route running. Showing the ability to high point the ball well as well. Uh the big week for him. Anytime you're talking about a step up in competition. So we'll see how the reports are for the rest of the week on him. Desmond Patman from Washington state, big bodied guy at six, four, two twenty eight. Uh, athleticism is a little bit of a concern, more of a red zone weapon. You has to use his size and physicality to his advantage. Interesting name here, Malcolm Perry, the Navy quarterback at five, nine, one ninety. The early reports are that people are blown away at how seamless he has made the transition to wide receiver so far. So I think he might be a jack of all trades type player. Uh, so a little running back, wide receiver. So he's a guy I'm really excited to see in the game. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's only been a quarterback for Navy running that option. So we'll see if he, how much wide receiver time or running back time he gets on Saturday. Joe Reed out of Virginia, 6'1", 215. He's another jack of all trades type guy. Uh, he can be part running back, part receiver, kick returner. He can play the slot. He can play outside. Uh, used on sweeps and end the rounds and all that stuff, screens. So another offensive weapon, but his athleticism and, and, and top end speed hold him back a little bit. Freddie Swain out of Florida, six feet, 199, undersized, but an, uh, another slot type player, average to above average route runner, uh, shows some ability after the catch, more of a possession style receiver. Uh, 
Benjamin Victor out of Ohio State. He's been one of the, the guys who's had the most glowing reports over the last two days. 6'4", 195, average size and frame. Uh, sorry, uh, great size. Uh, average frame needs to add a little bit there to that. Uh, above average athleticism and movement skills. But he's shown pretty good in terms of his route running. The early reports are more of a slot, big slot or outside possession guy. Can be a returner as well. Uh, so uh, Benjamin Victor is a guy to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Nick Westbrook uh, out of Indiana, 6'3", 215. More good hands, outside possession style wide receiver. And to round out this lengthy list, Isaiah Wright out of Temple, 6'2", 220. He's got good size. Uh, good frame, average athleticism and speed, but he shows good hands, really good play strength, can play inside as a big slot or outside as a possession receiver. And also, while he doesn't have top-end athleticism, he's been a productive receiver, uh, a returner for Temple as well. Matt, I noticed some interesting names there from Juwan Johnson to John Hightower, the Navy quarterback making the transition. Where do you want to take this? Well, I, I mean... Listen, I mean, we could go into a lot of these players, but I think I'm going to stick to the guys that I think really stand out to me most of all because of, you know, we are Saturday to Sunday and we've seen a lot of these guys grow, mature and develop over time. So I think the ones that are the players that I've seen the most develop over time are going to be Juwan Johnson, Benjamin Victor, um, as well as Nick Westbrook. Um, and I think that it's really interesting. I want to start with Juwan Johnson. There was a time where when he was at Penn State and we were looking at him potentially coming out as a junior, there was a time where I was thinking he was probably in the among the top five in terms of his respective class, in terms of being a wide receiver prospect. Injuries and the ability to stay on the field has constantly derailed him. But make no mistake about it, when you talk about Juwan Johnson, he's an extremely skillful wide receiver. I can understand the, the, the compulsion or the propensity to want to put on weight and maybe make him a move tight end. I imagine they're thinking something in the world of Ricky Seals Jones, and that's probably where they're going with this. And I can see that. And I understand that. Um, but, but I don't, I, I think Ricky Seals Jones and I think Juwan Johnson, while physically they may have some similarities in terms of their size, I don't think we should rob Juwan Johnson of the chance to play at the NFL level as a wide receiver. Because when you look at him and you watch what he does, if you take injuries aside, his most skillful traits are really his ability, his dynamic balance, his ability to stay balanced, stay between his body mass, in other words, to stay centered you know, throughout his routes, his dynamic balance, his catch radius, his releases versus off coverage, his route deception, his motor coordination to transition from a wide receiver to a running back, his overall play speed, which means his awareness and his ability to process the coverage distribution in front of him. He has a good idea of what's happening around him. He gets orientation. He can orient himself well in a, an environment as the play is unfolding. He's very functional in terms of his agility, in terms of his high-speed change of direction routes, hence the double moves they talk about. He's very deceptive. Deceptive is not something that is an input. It's not something a guy has or doesn't. You have to create suddenness. You have to create deception by what you do throughout your vertical stem. And if you go and watch Juwan Johnson, the nuances of his head movements, his shoulder feints, his trajectories, the way he varies tempo as he gets closer to the actual DB, he does all the little things that you're looking for that you can create deception at the highest of levels. 
his run after catch ability. He's more elusive than you think in the open field, in my opinion. Um, when you watch him, he's not just going to try to win with strength. He has the capacity to make guys miss in the open field. Um, and really his contact fidelity is something that he also has in terms of being very functional with it. I don't think there's a variety of ways he tries to win. He's not going to spin off of you like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and he's not going to use force in a variety of ways to gain yardage, but he is going to meet force. He is aware of the contact that's happening and he does a nice job regardless of the trajectory to really be able to mitigate it and defeat it. He uses that size in a way to get extra yards after the catch overall listen his acceleration at the line of scrimmage is still something that he's developing he's not explosive strength is not exactly there yet in terms of his acceleration his releases versus plus press coverage were always limited in terms of his exposures so it's good to hear that that's something that he's developing down there and they see some good things and his blocking was something that i was always a little concerned about with his size i wanted to see guys you know kind of thrown into the stands and that never really appeared to be what was happening So I think those are the things that are going to separate him. And I think the blocking in particular is why I'm a little curious as to the tight end move. Maybe that's something that he is showing down there. And that's something that he's excited to see about. So I I think Jawan Johnson could be a surprise in this draft and is a guy that could find a home, um, you know, at the highest of levels and could be easily in that kind of wide receiver for red zone mix for a team. And I think that's very good. I mean, look at what happened in Auden Tate, right? If you tell me Auden Tate and Jawan Johnson, who's the better route runner and who's the more explosive athlete, I'm going to tell you it's Jawan Johnson. And Auden Tate's been very functional this year. I mean, he found a role. So, I mean, I, I think I don't think NFL teams are looking, Paul, for the for the perfect receiver. What I think they're doing is looking for the receivers that mesh best with their quarterbacks. Because again, if you're going to play up tempo and you're going to be in a two minute drill all game then you and your quarterback and your receivers need to be on the same page. And I think that's going to trump athleticism to some degree. Basically, the best problem solvers are going to be on the field because that's where you're going to be speedy, not just linear speed, but you're going to need people that can be on the same page at all times. And I think that's what teams are looking for now. So guys that are drafted in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round are going to have the opportunity to climb depth charts if they show that synergy and cohesion with their quarterback. I think that's a pro- I think that's what's happening at the wide receiver position. Because you know what? If it doesn't work out, we'll just draft some more next year. Because there, there's a lot of guys coming out that are pretty good. So that's Juwan Johnson in a nutshell. I think he's probably going to be best suited for more of a vertical passing game. Nick yeah. Westbrook. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think Johnson's going to be one of the guys that I'm most intrigued to watch in the game. And I, I think there's three guys that that I look at this list that I can see as being call-ups if for any reason the Senior Bowl needs to, to call somebody up. And I would think that Jawan Johnson would be one of those guys. Uh, the other two guys that I think could be in the mix would be uh, – mentioned them before John Hightower out of Boise state because of that speed component. Mm-hmm. And then Benjamin Victor out of Ohio state, big school. He has been productive. I mentioned, but I said before I was reading on the wrong column, uh, not a guy who's a returner, but everything else that he brings is kind of intriguing. Early reports are so far that he's been really impressive, showing better rat running than I think maybe people even gave him credit for. So I think Victor, uh, 
Johnson or Hightower, those would be the guys on the short list if I was going to put three names as potential call-ups. If any of them were to get a call, if any receiver was to get a call-up, those would be the three that I would I would say my eyes are kind of intrigued to see what happens the rest of this week and then in the game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, listen, Benjamin Victor since high school has been this long, lean, very athletic, body-controlled-esque wide receiver. You know what? It hasn't really changed in college. I thought he was going to put on more weight when he went to Ohio State, and I thought he was going to end up being more in that Des Bryant type of role, and he was going to really kind of catapult himself into that next stratosphere. And it really didn't. And I think his route running has developed out of necessity, you know, because he's developed that phase of his game and he's done it at a very functional level. Um, the one thing I would say about Benjamin Victor, if you're trying to get a frame of who he is, um, he plays the game very similarly to how T Higgins plays the game. So the same ways in which T Higgins tries to play the game is what you're going to see from Benjamin Victor. They're going to want to use that length to create that passing window because they know they're not going to necessarily outrun you all the time, but they know they have the length to keep you at bay. So that way they can adjust to the catch as they need to. And that's, that's, that's where I think you're going to see Benjamin Victor really excel. And, you know, route running again, you know, one of the things I would love to see from him is I would love to see some of these drills, Paul, because even though I know it's not a game, it's still a competitive atmosphere. You're still going one-on-one. You're still going good on good. I'd love to see, you know, what type of sensitivity do they have to the, to the way in which distances change between corners? You know, these corners are going to be finally getting up in these guys' faces and jamming them at the line of scrimmage. And for some of these guys, this is the first time they're going to feel collisions at the line of scrimmage. This is some of the first time these guys are going to be fighting collisions at the next level. And that's that's big. I mean, I, again, going back many years, you go back to the Senior Bowl, and I had the opportunity to be there. They were teaching guys how to actually jam players the first time. They were teaching them how to do it because the corners had never done it. The receivers were in the advantage spot. But the collision over time, defense slowly picked up. And the offense slowly got more disadvantaged. A lot of these guys don't have a toolbox for managing tight coverage. So I I would love to see these practices when the guy gets knocked in the chest for the first time. What does he do? You know, does he lose yardage? Does he get jammed up, all mangled up and tangled up? Or does he find solutions rep after rep? Does he find new ways to do things? It's just very interesting. And um, I'm just excited to see these guys go, go at it. Yeah, and then let's just close it out uh, real quick with the tight ends. Obviously, as a whole, this whole tight end group in 2020 is a little underwhelming. So now you're talking about even the underclass tight end group is pretty underwhelming. The senior bowl group of tight ends is a little underwhelming. So the Shrine game, you understand the the ramifications as a class of being a little bit uh, underwhelming in terms of prospects to get excited about, but there's a couple guys so that that have components of their game that I think are intriguing. Uh, let's start out first with uh, Ben Ellison at North Dakota State. So step up in competition for him, six four two fifty. So he's got good size, great frame. Mostly lines up in line, good blocker. Play strength shows the ability to hold the point of attack. Can be used as a little bit as a checkdown outlet when needed in the pass game. Parker Houston out of San Diego State, 6'2", 250. So he's undersized, but he's got a good frame. Minimal receiving production during his collegiate career. Uh, Giovanni Ricci out of Western Michigan, really intriguing. 6'3", 240. He's got good size, uh, only an average frame. He's very much a pass-catching tight end. 
former wide receiver. I think he was a high school quarterback as well. So for the position of tight end, he's a very good athleticism, uh, good movement skills and quickness, can attack the seam, can get vertical, uh, shows the ability to create yards after the catch and in the open field. He's mostly going to be a move tight end, detached, or somebody in the slot. So think about one of those you know, part of a, of a tight end group where he has to be used exclusively as a pass catcher. Mitchell Wilcox is clearly the biggest name down there. Once upon a time, people thought he might be the top tight end in this class, and he's not even at the senior bowl. South Florida, 6'5", 245. Obviously, he's got great size, but his frame, I would say, is probably about average to above average. Uh, he only has average athleticism and speed. I think that's been part of the issue with him. He's got a good catch radius, shows the ability to extend to consistently win contested catches, shows good body control with the ability to adjust pets outside of his frame. Average to above average route runner, understands how to create enough space to consistently be open, can attack the seam a little bit, and shows good toughness to make contested catches in traffic over the middle. Line can line up detached, move tight end, or even use as an H back. But there's some concerns about his overall level of athleticism. Also, not much of a blocker. So I think that's where the excitement level on Mitchell Wilcox just isn't at what I think most people would have thought it would be prior to this year starting. I mean, people thought Wilcox was going to go out last draft and thought he had a chance to be a top 100 pick. So his his stock has definitely fallen a little bit in, in the last calendar year. Uh, Eli Wolf out of Georgia, 6'4", 245, good size, average frame, mostly plays in line, but I think he needs to add more weight if he's going to do that at the NFL level. 6'4", 245, I do not think will cut it for an inline tight end. Uh, he will struggle to hold the point of attack. Minimal receiving production over the last two years at Georgia. And then Dominic Wood Anderson out of Tennessee, 6'4", 257. Got ideal size and frame, average athleticism, good blocker. Has shown the ability to hold the point of attack and line up in line. Probably a number two, number three type tight end at the next level. Can be a red zone weapon as that second or third tight end. And uh, mostly uses a check down option after, you know, after uh, delivering a block. So they're the tight end group, Matt. Not, not a lot in terms of names that we've talked about. The only one really on that list is Mitchell Wilcox. Any thoughts just about either Wilcox or just even the tight end position in general at just how much it's basically became two completely separate entities in terms of evaluations? Yeah, no, I I think that's a hundred percent true. I think with Mitchell Wilcox, I'm just I'm interested just to see how he's going to compete, especially as a wide receiver. How he's going to do on receiving downs? How's he going to do receiving the football? What's he going to be like handling blocking duties? How are they going to leverage him? How is he going to be used? So I am interested in seeing how Wilcox is used and developed in that game. Um, but I, I I do agree with you. I mean, you know, it is now two completely different groups. I mean. This particular, you know, tight end group, you know, is going to still have some intriguing and interesting players. Um, but I think it's it's a far cry from what we expected earlier in the year. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, guys, this we know going into this that this is mostly filled with late day three prospects, priority free agents, a couple guys who go push pushed up into early day three. And if you believe the reports that are out there, there people believe that they think there's some players here who could go in the top 100, but there's always some diamonds in the rough. Obviously next week, the senior bowl early look at those rosters. It's as, it's as talented a senior bowl roster that I've ever seen. So if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, I really don't know a lot of these names next week, you will know almost every single name. They are guys that we've been talking about 
throughout the season, before the season started, one after the other, almost every skill player that's going to be down there. Uh, I would say 80 to 90% of the skill players that are going to be down there are going to be names that we've talked about a lot on here over the course of the year and before the season started. But the Shrine game is a great way to kind of kick off draft season, start familiarizing yourself with some of these small school prospects, some of these under-the-radar type guys, whether it's for your dynasty leagues and somebody emerges or it's just a fan of a team and, and they draft these guys. But but let's not lose sight that every year, guys, especially running backs, pr- undrafted free agents, guys who are on practice squads, get an opportunity. So who's to say a guy like James Robinson out of Illinois State or Benny LeMay out of Charlotte doesn't get an opportunity? Who's to say Tavion Feaster isn't a six-round pick who finds his way to an opportunity at some point on a depth chart? There's always guys that emerges like that. There's a handful of intriguing wide receivers who that, yeah, in this draft class, they might get buried to you know the 20th or the 25th wide receiver taken. But they have skill. There's some wide receivers here that have a lot of skill. So it's a fun way to kick off draft season. I'm excited. I will try to do as much live tweeting during the broadcast as possible. Like in the past, uh, I'll be retweeting things out. There's a lot of people who are down there. Tony Pauline has been doing an excellent job for Pro Football Network. Uh, Emery Hunt, always a great follow. He's been putting out a lot of contact. The guys over at Draft Network have a whole team of guys down there. So those are probably right now, uh, you know, and then Fran Duffy and uh, the Journey to Draft podcast. Those have basically been my four go-to resources so far for the Shrine Bowl coverage this week. So make sure you're checking out them, checking out uh, the podcast. I know uh, Chris Brody and Tony Pauline have been doing daily podcasts uh, on the Shrine Bowl. Fran Duffy and Journey to Draft is going to be doing the same. And there's also a lot of really good articles and coverage being put out uh, by the rest of the guys I mentioned there as well. Matt, any closing thoughts here? Uh, Next time we come back, we'll recap a little bit of the Shrine game uh, real quick to start the next episode. But mostly all of next episode, we'll be previewing the Senior Bowl because there'll be a lot of names we want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, again, the Senior Bowl this year is just their rosters are incredible. Probably the best we've seen in the all the time that we've been covering this. And yeah, I mean, you know, to, to Paul's point, I mean, he'll be doing as much live tweeting as possible. For those of you that are DVR late nighters, uh, you'll catch me later that evening going through the film on my own. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. I'll be putting out um, some comments, some thoughts. And, uh, you know, if, if anything strikes us in terms of their ability to move or anything that's going on there, you know, we'll, we'll try to dig into some of that. So Paul, I, I just this is this is where you just start gearing up. This is where we're gearing up and and really just ready to kind of knock it down and, and see where these players go. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, if you're enjoying the work that Matt and I do on the podcast, uh, if you're enjoying our coverage that we put out there on Twitter, please get over to the website. SSfootball.com is the best way uh, to to check out our stuff. We put the premium notebook you can check out what that includes for $9.99. You get access to the 2020 scouting notebook. I mean, we're going to have up over a hundred profiles. Uh, the earliest we've ever had them, maybe 110 by the time it's all said and done strengths, uh, functional areas, developing areas, NFL draft projection, NFL role, how they win, fantasy spins, you know, for over a hundred guys, you could get an early leg up, 
you know, from buying it from now uh, and really get a leg up in your competition, learn about these guys well in advance of the NFL draft. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our different rankings. Uh, draft eligible will turn into just draft once we have the f- official declarations of who's in and who's out. Our Devi rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings. And then I know Matt's already working on the freshman notebook. That'll come out late March to mid-April. And then the draft projections, notebook, tabs on every position, offense and defense. Notes on over about 400 players. Exactly put in an order of how we expect it to go that night from everything I'm reading and listening and hearing. Uh, Another tab will have our projected top 32. Another tab will have our projected top 100. And then another tab will have our projected every single pick in the draft. It is the best way to support the show. It's it's $9.99. We haven't asked for a Patreon account or, or tried to create one, but we do rely on those sales to help continue to do what we're doing. So we hope if you bought it in the past, you consider buying it again uh, if you enjoy the show. And if you uh, haven't ever tried it, we would love it if you consider purchasing it. Uh, we do think you will maximize it and get a lot out of uh, it as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself thank you for joining us enjoy the shrine bowl and we look forward next time taking you from saturday to sunday